All right. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Some good life in the room today. That's awesome. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Tyson. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Callwood Church. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a great morning so far in our gathering. If you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we are in a sermon series around the seven I am statements of Jesus. And this series kind of comes out of, first and foremost, the book of Exodus, where God has this encounter with Moses, where he talks to him from a burning bush, and, and, he, and he reveals his name to him, and, and, and it says this, I am who I am. And so in John's gospel, we find seven times that Jesus picks up on this I am language. And each time that he does, he alludes to the fact that he is the same God that spoke to Moses in that burning bush. And each time that Jesus refers to himself as I am, he is coloring in our picture of God a little bit more and helping us to see God more clearly and understand him more fully. And today we pick up another one of those statements, and it's a cool and powerful one on Pentecost Sunday. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, I'd encourage you to open them up to John chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we'll have it on the screens for you today to read along with us. And to catch you up as we jump into John chapter 11, in this passage right before where we start reading, we learn that Lazarus, Jesus' friend and the brother to Mary and Martha, is sick. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. But Lazarus ends up dying before Jesus gets there. And so we pick up this story in verse 17 of chapter 11, and it says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And the reason why that's significant is because there are people in Jerusalem at this point who are wanting to kill Jesus and wanting to stop his ministry, but Jesus still chooses to go that close to Jerusalem to see his friends. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to offer them comfort in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jewish people in that time period had a hope for a resurrection on the last day where everyone who had died would be resurrected again. And Martha's saying, I know he'll be resurrected at that day. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, Martha replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village. But he was standing at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to go to the tomb to mourn there. But when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. 
Jesus wept, which was my favorite verse in Sunday school because it was the shortest one to memorize. (laughs) And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were still wrapped with strips of linen and cloth was around his face. And Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's the statement we're going to unpack together today. So let's pray before we jump into that. Jesus, I thank you that you are the one in whom resurrection life is found. So I pray today, Lord, in our time together, as we look at healing and salvation, and as we look at your word, that you would open up our eyes to see what you want us to see and our hearts to receive what you want to deposit into them. Lord, today, I pray that you would help us to see your heart for us more clearly and to understand you even more fully so that we can grow to look more like you, Jesus. So take our time together this morning, and I pray you would use it to grow us, to shape us, and to mold us closer to you. In your name we pray all these things. Amen. Now, hearing this scripture that we read this morning may bring a lot of different emotions to the forefront for you based on where you come in today. Maybe you're brand new to this whole church thing and this this whole kind of Jesus idea, and you're sitting here going this morning, you guys actually believe that God raised someone from the dead? That's crazy. And if that's you today, I I just want to say thank you for being here. Even if you got dragged here by a spouse, thank you for being here today. We are grateful that you are here. And I hope that as we unpack this message, you can give us a little bit of grace to not immediately write this whole thing off. And I pray that God will continue to speak to you today. For others, maybe you hear this story of, of a healing where someone is raised from the dead and your response is awe and wonder. Maybe it reminds you of a time in your life where God has broke through in a powerful way and brought healing and hope and restoration to your story and has brought you to tears and filled you with joy. Hearing this scripture today might fill you with hope of how God might bring resurrection to something in your story that looks like it is beyond repair or dead. It might bring awe and wonder to you today, but for some today, hearing this message of an incredible healing might almost be too much. I'll be honest, this is a hard message to preach this week as we've lost over the last couple weeks three amazing women of God who have been a part of our church family. And talking about someone being raised from the dead today on a week like this feels heavy if I'm just being honest with you. And maybe your story when it comes to healing is one where you have begged God for a miracle, but it didn't go the way that you hoped. You still have that person that you care for who is in pain or that that situation that didn't get resolved the way that you'd hoped. 
And maybe today when it comes to talking about prayer for healing, you aren't filled with awe or wonder, but instead, if you're honest, you're filled with disappointment or disillusionment. In the midst of suffering, you might be left with questions like, why didn't God do something? If God is so good, why did he allow this pain to continue? And instead of awe and wonder today, you might feel instead disappointed. And in my life, I have experienced both of these extremes at times. I remember one time, probably about eight or nine years ago, I was speaking at a summer camp, and it was a family camp in Manitoba, and I was doing the the sessions for the youth students. And so I'm speaking to the youth students in the mornings, and then in the evenings, we would gather together for family chapel, and everyone would be there. And the speaker for family chapel that evening ended off his time of of teaching and preaching that night with a call for prayer for healing. And I'll be honest, I was exhausted, I was tired, I was not really in the mood to be a pastor praying for healing in that moment. And yet he asked the pastors to come up, and so we came up to the front, and I was up there praying and just kind of waiting. My heart really wasn't in it that much, and this lady came up and asked for prayer for healing for her back. And so I offered what, I kid you not, was probably the worst prayer for healing you've ever heard. God, you can do something, okay, do it. Not a whole lot of heart, not a whole lot of like rousing faith in this moment. And I went out about the rest of my night thinking not much of it. And the next day, that lady came back to me and she said, you won't believe this, but the back pain that I suffered from for 12 years is gone. I didn't believe it. I had very little faith. I wasn't in it emotionally. I wasn't focused on how can I just be so present to what God's saying. I just offered what was very half-hearted at best prayer, but yet the power of God flowed through me, and that woman was healed that day. And I've had moments where I've prayed for people, and I've sensed and felt God bringing a healing presence to their bodies. And I have experienced that, but I've also sat at the bedside of people begging God for a miracle and praying for a miracle for a person only to have to go to their funeral a short time later. Believing that it was way too early for that person to go. I've experienced both the amazing and the awe-inspiring and the wonderful moments in prayer for healing, but I've also experienced the disappointment and disillusionment and frustration of not seeing my prayers for healing come to pass. And when we talk about healing, there can be this balance of wonder and disappointment, the most awe-inspiring moments that will build our faith, but also sometimes the biggest kicks to the gut that just take the wind out of our sails. And I say all that to say healing is confusing sometimes, isn't it? It's confusing to talk about healing. And yet it's a big part of today's story with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And it's in the middle of this story of healing where Jesus says that I am the resurrection and the life. So today for our time together, we're going to unpack this idea of resurrection life. And there's two main themes with resurrection life that I want to explore today. Healing and salvation. And I owe this framing of resurrection life to Pastor Tyler Staten. And you'll hear me quote him a couple times this morning, but I thought it was so helpful. And in our time together, we're going to talk about how healing and salvation relate to each other and what this passage can teach us about resurrection life and the character of God. So first, let's talk about this theme of healing. Since we said just a second ago it can be confusing, 
I, there is some mystery to healing. I, I think that there are also, though, a few principles in scriptures that can kind of help us understand healing a bit more fully and help us to see where it might fit into our story today. So here are six things that I see in scripture when it comes to healing. The first one is this, healing is biblical. From the Old Testament all the way through to the end, we see healings occur. In our Bible reading plan this week, we have been going through Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 20, we see that Abraham prays for Abimelech and his wife who are struggling with infertility. And God opens up the wife's womb so that they can have children again. We see a couple pages later in Genesis 25, Isaac and Rebekah don't have any children. And Isaac prays for his wife and her womb is opened up and they have twins. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah raises a widow's son from the dead. A little bit later in 2 Kings 5, Elisha heals Naaman who's suffering from leprosy by telling him to go to wash in a river. We fast forward a few hundred years and we get to Jesus. And when he walked this earth, he reached out and healed the blind, the lame, the deaf, the mute, a woman with an issue of bleeding, lepers, raised people from the dead, just like we read with Lazarus' story today. You could say where Jesus went, healing followed. And it didn't stop with Jesus, but it actually continues on after he has gone with his followers in the early church. In Acts chapter 3, we read that Peter and John heal a lame beggar at the gates of a temple. In Acts chapter 5, healing is so common that people try to just get into Peter's shadow so they can experience healing. In Acts 19, we read that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. That's weird. I'm just going to be honest with you. That is wild. In Acts 20, we see that Paul is going a little bit long with his sermon and a young man named Eutychus falls out of a window and dies. And Paul goes down when he finishes up his sermon and raises him back to life. I may have bored you with a sermon before, but I can thankfully say I don't think I've ever bored someone to death. <laughs> Healing is all throughout the pages of, of Scripture from the beginning to the end. So we can honestly say that healing is a biblical concept. The second thing that we see is that healing is a part of the church's ministry. Healing is in the gifts of the Spirit that are listed and given to the early church in 1 Corinthians 12. And so just like we think that preaching and encouraging and evangelism are still important parts of the life and work of the church today, so too is healing. When we are praying for healing, we are ultimately praying what Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason I say we're praying that is because when we get to the end of his story in Revelation chapter 21, we see that when heaven and earth come together and we are in God's presence forever, there is no more disease, sickness, sadness, or pain. As a church, we are called to be a little outpost of that kind of kingdom right here and right now. We don't just hope for it one day in the future. We ask as Jesus taught us that it would break into here and now. Healing is a part of the church's ministry today. The third thing that we see in scripture and in our experience is healing is complicated. When we seek healing, it is usually right in the middle of one of our most vulnerable moments. For those of you who don't know, Lindsay, my wife, and our story, we struggled with infertility for years before 
And the grace of our son, Bo, was given to us. And that's why his name is Bo Samuel. The first name means to live, and his middle name means God heard our prayer. On this side of it, we can praise God and thank him for his grace, but in the middle of it, it was messy and we were vulnerable. God not coming through in the timing that we wanted hurt. And today's suffering and pain are real. And when we come to God and ask him to bring healing, it could be life-defining for us. If we see it happen, it's a story that we can't help but tell and maybe even name our son after. But if it doesn't happen, it can be a story that can really cause us to doubt. To doubt our faith in God and maybe even doubt his character and his goodness. Pastor Tyler Staten suggests that this is one of the aspects that makes healing different than other spiritual gifts. He says this, Many people respond to a bad teaching with a yawn, but many people respond to a request for healing that goes unmet by redefining the God that they pray to. Listening to a bad sermon might make us question the person speaking or make us yawn, but when healing doesn't happen, it can cause us to question our faith and sometimes even the character of God. Healing is complicated and there is some mystery to it. While we experience moments of healing that can lead to awe and wonder, we can also experience moments where our hope for healing goes unmet and leads to disappointment. The fourth thing that we see is that healing is not directly tied to the size of your faith. I don't know if you've ever heard this said before, but I've heard it countless times. If you just had more faith, you would be healed. I've heard stories of many well-meaning Christians over the course of my life say those words to someone who is in the middle of pain or suffering. And let me just say, if that is your story today and it's caused you to feel shame or condemnation, I'm sorry that you have walked through that today. When people refer to someone's faith bringing healing, they're usually thinking of Jesus' words when he says a few times in the Gospels, your faith made you well. He says this exact thing to 10 lepers in Luke 17 and to a blind beggar in Luke 18. Because of a person's trust in Jesus, they are made well. And we can say as Jesus did that their faith healed them. But it is the power of Jesus that does the healing and the saving work, not the faith itself. And we can't miss that. The power lies in Jesus. The faith is just the conduit for the power to flow. And in fact, in the passage that we studied last week, the blind man that is healed by Jesus doesn't even ask to be healed by Jesus. Healing is not about the size of our faith. It is about the size and the power of our God. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is talking and he says these words, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. In Mark chapter 9, a father is asking Jesus to heal his son, and this is a part of the encounter. The father says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The size of a mustard seed and help me overcome my unbelief. Do those sound like massive amounts of faith today? They are small, but it is a small faith in a big God. Faith is only the instrument, not the power itself. 
on this stage, I could have a massive tuba and I could have a small kazoo and they could both sit here without any noise or any instrument coming or any music coming from them. It takes someone to blow and to provide power into the instrument for it to actually do something. And whether our faith is big and massive like the size of a tuba or tiny and small like a little kazoo, we bring our big faith and our small faith to God and place our trust in him that he can bring the healing. It's not about you having a massive amount of earth-shattering faith to see healing. It is about bringing whatever you got to God. And if that's as simple as help me with my unbelief, that is still a worthwhile amount of faith to bring to Jesus. The fifth thing that we see is healing is not as complicated as we tend to make it. While healing can be complicated at times, sometimes we can overcomplicate it. When I share my faith with a friend who doesn't know Jesus and they don't immediately put their hope and trust in Jesus, I don't doubt that God still wants to save the lost and save people who don't know him. But when we pray for healing, sometimes it can cause us to doubt that God still wants that to happen. We can be certain, though, from Scripture that it is God's will to heal. We know that because of what I mentioned earlier. When we see the end of his story, it is one where everything and everyone that is broken is healed by God. Healing is God's perfect will. And God will heal all of our embodied pain for good, and that is a promise that we can hold on to. What we are unclear on is when and how that healing will occur. Will it be in this life or will it be in the next? If we are wondering why God didn't or why God doesn't sometimes heal here and now, that is not as easy and neat. But we can trust that it is ultimately God's will to heal and that is the best and safest thing about asking God for healing is we can trust that he is good and that is his heart for us. He will repurpose everything, even our pain and our suffering, into redemption. There is nothing that we experience right here and right now that God will not repurpose and redeem eventually. And the challenge with this is that we are living in this tension that theologians call the already and the not yet. As we talked about earlier, we are invited to pray right now that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. This means that there are times here on earth right now where his kingdom has not fully come and his will is not fully done. Jesus has broken through and he is the king, but his kingship is yet to be fully realized. One day there will be a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and we will see that kingdom fully come and when it does, all will be healed. But over the course of following our lives with Jesus, we We will experience moments of the already, moments where God's power breaks through in an amazing and miraculous way. And we can give thanks to God for those moments and the joy that they bring. In the story we read today, Mary and Martha see this when their brother Lazarus is raised from the dead. But we also see that for four days before that happens, they live in the tension of the not yet. They have to mourn the loss of their brother. And over the course of our lives, we will experience moments of the already, moments where we can give God praise, but we will also experience the heartbreaking moments of the not yet, of when his kingdom hasn't fully come here on earth as it is in heaven. This leads me to the last thing that I want to say about healing. Healing is a sign that points to the kingdom. What do signs do? They point to something ahead or something else. 
Healing is not the kingdom itself fully realized. Healing is a sign or a snapshot of what the kingdom is like. Healing is a taste of God's kingdom coming here and breaking through now, but all healing is ultimately temporary. Lazarus still had a second funeral. That is why healing is not the end goal that we are seeking. Healing is a sign of the kingdom, but what we are ultimately seeking is the substance of the kingdom. And this leads us to the second theme of resurrected life that we can look at today, salvation. Tyler Staten puts it this way, healing is a sign, but salvation is the substance of the kingdom. In scripture, we often see Jesus link healing with salvation. Jesus will sometimes heal someone and he will also say, your sins are forgiven. Now, when you think of salvation, you might immediately think of your sins being forgiven and that is awesome, but that's not where salvation stops biblically. When John talks about salvation in his gospel, he talks about it being more than just a repeat after me prayer or a hand up at the end of a service, though those can be amazing starting points on people's faith journey. Salvation in Jesus' teaching is not just a prayer we say once, but a redeemed life that has been won by grace. At the beginning of John's gospel, the salvation that Jesus brings is all about life. Here's how John puts it. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness. Like we talked about last week, in his teachings, in his life, and in his way, that is where life is ultimately found. It is a light for the darkness. When Jesus sums up his reason for coming in John 10, he sums up salvation by saying this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. At the end of John's gospel, it is all still about life. These words are from John 20. Everything John wrote, these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Salvation is the substance of the kingdom, and that substance is life and life to the full. Life the way that God fully designed and intended for us to live. To put it another way, salvation is not just about quantity. It's not just about being with God forever. It's also about quality, the kind of life that you would actually want to live forever. Starting right here and right now, that type of life is available to each one of us. Salvation is not just about getting us into heaven when we die, which is why I love John Ortberg's provocative question. What if salvation isn't mostly about getting us into heaven, but about getting heaven into us? Or the way Jesus puts it, your kingdom come, your will be done here and now in my life, in my city, and in this world. Salvation is the substance of what that kingdom looks like, and healing is a sign. But salvation is the substance of what life with God and life fully alive is all about. And Martha had this kind of hope for, for that type of resurrection one day. Martha says to Jesus, yes, Lord, I know one day I'll see that kind of life. I know we'll see the resurrection life one day. But Jesus looks at her and says, this is not just a hope for one day. This hope is here right now. Salvation and healing, this resurrection life is here right now. And so if I was to summarize everything we said so far, I would just say it this way. We should seek and desire healing, 
but it is just a taste of what is to come. Our ultimate hope is not in healing, but in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And it's in him that we can still experience and find this resurrection life right here and right now through healing and salvation. And on this Pentecost Sunday, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is present and alive in those who have faith here in this room. And as we draw to a close today, in a moment, we are going to take some time to pray actually for healing. But before we do, I just want to offer a word to anyone who's maybe still hesitant when it comes to asking God for healing today. In the middle of a message on healing and salvation, you might be sitting there still feeling an overwhelming emotion of doubt or hurt or disillusionment. I've asked God before, but I didn't get what I hoped for. I don't know if I can actually open myself back up to that kind of hurt and that kind of pain again. I don't want to be disappointed again in God. And if that's what you're feeling today, I'm not here to tell you you shouldn't feel that way, but I just want to highlight two things from this passage that have helped me so much to understand the heart of God in the midst of my own pain. The first thing is this. Jesus made space for Mary and Martha and listened to them. Mary and Martha both come to Jesus with a statement that I think most of us can resonate with in the face of pain. If only you had been there, Jesus. If only you had been there, Jesus, maybe my life wouldn't have fallen apart right now. If only you had been there, Jesus, that person would still be here with us right here and right now. I don't know what you'd fill the blank in with, but they come to Jesus with their if-only statements. If only you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't be dead. Jesus, where were you? These two sisters say very similar thing, but that you can see that they are processing it in two different ways. Martha looks Jesus in the eye, and it might be fair to say that her primary emotion is anger in that moment, while Mary collapses at his feet in what you might call sadness or despair. And the beautiful thing that we see in this passage today is that Jesus makes room for both of them, and he listens to them. He doesn't shut them down and say, hold on, hold on, just a sec, I'm going to raise Lazarus. He actually makes room and listens to them, even though he knows what he's going to do in a few minutes. If you are like Martha today, and if you have an if only in your heart, I invite you to put on Martha's shoes, march up to Jesus and ask Jesus, where were you? Ask Jesus, why didn't you show up in the way that I wanted? Share your problem, share your hurt. Ask Jesus why he allowed this terrible thing to happen. Or maybe you're processing something today like Martha, or like, like Mary, and you just want to collapse at Jesus' feet with grief and questions. Regardless of how you are processing today, I invite you to bring whatever you are feeling to God and share it as honestly and openly as you can because he will make space for you. He will listen to you. Ask your questions, bring your anger, bring your sadness, your grief, and whatever else you may have, and bring them to Jesus. He can handle it. And then wait for his response. And in the waiting, you might be surprised by what you see and hear. When Mary looks up from her encounter with Jesus, we see this second thing that I want to highlight. Jesus wept. It's not just the shortest verse in the Bible for Sunday school. Jesus wept. And this is so significant and important. If Jesus knew what he was going to do to raise Lazarus from the dead, which he says multiple times in this passage, why does Jesus cry? 
Jesus doesn't swing into the scene all triumphant and say, put your feelings aside, put your grief aside, I'm going to go roll that stone away. Instead, he steps onto the scene, enters into the pain of Mary and Martha, and he actually weeps. He is, as scripture calls him, a man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief. From Moses all the way to Jesus, one of the phrases that is used to describe God most often is that God is compassionate. The word that the Bible uses there means co-suffering. He is the one who draws alongside us in our grief, the one who weeps with us when we are hurting. Why does Jesus cry? Because the ones that he loves are hurting and are in pain, and it moves his heart to compassion for them. That is the heart of God for those who are suffering and in pain. God does not sit far away, distant, unaffected by your pain and your difficulty and your suffering. He draws alongside of you to the point where it moves his heart to tears. When Jesus sees Mary's pain, it breaks his heart and it moves him emotionally. So let me just ask you this simple question. Does your picture of God have room for a God like this? Does your picture of God have room for a God who actually cares when you're hurting? Who isn't distant and far away, unaffected by what you're going through, but the God who actually sits with you, listens to your pain, enters into your suffering with you? Those two little words, Jesus wept, show us that type of God. And when God sees your pain, it still breaks his heart today. God is not far away and distant in our pain. He is compassionate and co-suffering alongside of us. God was with Mary and Martha in their pain, and he's with you today. And this leads me to just say this. Resurrection life is not just a doctrine or a future fact. Resurrection is a person, Jesus, and he stands in front of Martha and says to her, I am the resurrection and life. Do you believe? And in this passage, one of the things that I love is the way that it ends. Jesus gets to the tomb and Martha gives him a speech about how stinky Lazarus is going to be. But instead of listening to that, he still says, take away the stone. Church, do you today still believe that God is the God who can take away stones? We believe that God is the same God today who raised Lazarus from the dead 2,000 years ago. And that same God today on this Pentecost Sunday where we are celebrating the Spirit coming in power, we believe that same God can still roll away stones in your life today. Jesus is saying to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. And the question is, do you believe? And so this morning, the way that we're going to kind of finish and wrap things up is we're going to sing a song called Make Room. And we're going to create some room today to pray for healing. Our pastoral team and a couple of our prayer team are going to be here today praying for needs. So if you have something in your life that you'd like to ask for prayer for healing for, we want to create some room for that today. Maybe it's physical healing in your body. Maybe it's spiritual healing that you're saying today, I actually can't even trust God for, for asking for healing. Maybe there's something, a deep wound emotionally or relationally that you want prayer for today. We believe that Jesus can bring healing and wholeness to every area of our life. That is what his life and life to the full is all about. So this morning, as the team leads us through this one more song, we're going to pray. 
And when the song is over, you are dismissed for today. But if you'd like prayer, we will be at the front this morning and after the song is done for, to pray with you. So I'm going to invite our pastors and our prayer team up now. I invite you, if you're in the room with me, to stand as well. Let me pray over us and then Pastor Josh and his team will lead us today. Jesus, we believe that you are the resurrection and the life. That in you, Lord, is life and life to the full. That those parts of our lives that we can think are, are too far gone and are too far for you to even do anything about God, today we believe that you are the God who can still roll away stones in this place. It's not based on our own goodness or anything that we can do, but based on your goodness and your power. And so today in this place, Lord, we humbly ask that your kingdom would come, that little moments of breakthrough would happen right here and right now. Signs that point to the kingdom, that we can testify about the kingdom that is coming and share of your goodness and your love in our journey. And so today, Lord, we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here, right now. Spirit, we invite you to come. that you are the resurrection and the life. And today, Lord, we thank you for what you are doing right here and right now. Thank you for how your kingdom is coming here and now. And as we go out throughout the rest of this week, Lord, I pray that we would sense and know your nearness to us, whatever this week may bring, that we would know you as the God who wants to hear from us. And we would know you as the God who draws alongside us and is moved by our pain. So today, Lord, would our, our picture of who you are be made more clear. Would we see your heart as a compassionate and good father more clearly? Thank you, Jesus, for your incredible love for us and the power of your spirit at work in our lives. Amen. Well, church, if uh, you want to still receive prayer, our team will be up at the front here and we'll love to pray for you. Uh, if you've if you got a, things to get to for the rest of the day, you are formally dismissed and we love you and are grateful that you've made some time to be with us today. Uh, the band's going to keep playing for a few minutes. And so if you want prayer, the, the front is still open for you today. But have an amazing rest of your week, church, and we love you.